part of our daily Bible reading, the, uh, the goal, the mission that we've been on um, for the last better part of a year now is trying to read through the Bible in a little over a year together as a church um, to enhance our personal Bible study and to um, give us something shared to talk about on Sunday mornings in a way that is, is personal. And so Acts chapter 10 actually will be uh, the reading on this coming Friday, so I'm a little ahead, but this will hopefully be a great preparation for when you get there uh, in your own study. But after hearing about Stephen last week, um, I was just drawn to this passage. I I felt like we should really talk about this passage, and I wanted to, to study this passage a little more, because in the story of Stephen, that man of God who was spirit-filled, we start to see the implications that the gospel has in the world. We start to see what happens when the gospel of Jesus Christ is shared and what it means for people. And in the story of Stephen, we see this, um, this story of good against evil on a grand scale. This one Preacher, this one servant of God, this one man of God who believes the gospel, who's been saved by Jesus Christ, as he is trying to share that with others, he stands against the religious leaders. The men in his day who would have taken pride in how much knowledge they had about God, and the ones who um, would claim that they knew the mind and the heart of God, and, and Stephen stood against them, and he preached the gospel to them, and he showed how Jesus was the fulfillment of all the Old Testament and how it had always been about Jesus and Jesus was coming and he had come and he had died and he had risen again to deal with our sins and to bring peace between us and God. And and that was so offensive to the church leaders, or the religious leaders, excuse me, that they killed him. They murdered him for it. And in Acts 10, so that's a grand scale of, of, of how the gospel affects culture and society and other people. And in Acts 10, we see how the gospel affects us, I think, on a more intimate level, a more personal level. And a few weeks ago, I talked about Joseph, and I talked about how um, his faithfulness to God was shown on a grand scale, right, in a whole, on, to the whole country. But he also had the opportunity to be faithful to God in everyday life on a more intimate scale. And we didn't get to get into that, but I wanted to get into that idea of how the gospel affects our everyday life among each other person to person. And so Acts 10, I think, is all about that. And Acts 10 is so important, it's so pivotal, because we have Acts 10 to thank for the reason that we are here this morning. Because in Acts 10, the gospel goes to a place that no one in the church of Jesus at that time thought it was going to go to. The church, or the gospel went to the Gentiles. So, I want to read to you uh, at the end of the passage. I want to read to you um, Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 36. And this is is what the whole chapter is built up to. And I want to read it to you. I want to start there. This is the crescendo. This is the gospel preached. It says this, "The The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. 
And we are witnesses of all these things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded, that's Jesus, commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is Jesus who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. And to Jesus all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in Christ will receive remission of sins. Chapter 10 ends with the gospel message being clearly preached, but there's two interesting characters throughout, the, throughout the, the, this chapter. And what you need to do this morning as we look at them real quick is you need to identify which person is you. Because there's, that, that's possible for anybody listening, anybody who's here this morning or who's tuning in online, that is possible um, in this chapter to identify yourself with one or the other. We have Cornelius and we have Peter. We have two men at two very different points in their lives. And this chapter 10 of Acts is going to show us how the gospel intimately changes their outlook on life. So let's start with Cornelius. Uh, if you go back to verse 1, it says, There was a certain man in Caesarea, in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. Cornelius is not a Jew. Cornelius is a Roman soldier, a centurion, so like a captain. Um, high, but not the highest. Right? He's uh, somewhat wealthy. He has good standing. Um, in, 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 as a Roman citizen, um, he's Italian, and he is in Caesarea to help keep peace. So there was lots of uprising. This is a big city, lots of different people, and it is the Roman army's job to make sure that riots do not break out, and they are a police force, basically, and they are to make sure that there is peace. So if you are not a Roman soldier or not a Roman citizen living here, you probably are not on good terms with these people. You are afraid of someone like Cornelius. You don't look to them as somebody you would want to hang out with or, or want to grab a coffee with or anything like that. These guys are to be avoided. But there's something different about Cornelius. He's not like every other Roman soldier. He's a devout man who feared God. He, gives, he gave alms generously to the people and he prayed to God always. And what's interesting to note is that um, it's not that he was a devout man who feared gods or he was a religious man among other religions. He was someone who was interested in pursuing the Jewish faith. He wanted to know the true, the one true God. As a Roman, he would have been well-versed in many different gods and many different religions. As a Roman soldier, he would have seen all sorts of different belief systems. But Cornelius is interested in serving the one true God of the scriptures. And he's devout about it. He prays regularly, and he is generous, and he gives regularly. So he has some good standing with people. He is different than anybody else. This man is a picture, and most of his household includes them too, is a picture of a true seeker of truth. A true seeker of truth. Someone who is interested in knowing the truth, who wants to know what is right, and wants to know what God has to say about it. But a seeker is not enough. So he's praying one day, and in verse, uh, verse 5, 
or verse 4, second part of verse 4, God comes to Cornelius and he talks to him. Cornelius says, uh, what, what, what is it, Lord? What would you have me do? Cornelius, or God says, so he said to him, your prayers, your alms have come up for memorial before God. What you've done, how you've been acting, those, the good works you've been doing, they're good. I noticed them, but they're not enough. Your good works are not enough. You're never going to know. You're never going to find what you're seeking, Cornelius, without something else. He says, your prayers and alms have come up, and they're a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa. Send, send, send some guys about 30 miles away. Send for a man named Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner, whose house is by the sea, and he will tell you what you must do. At the end of the chapter, like I said, like we read, the gospel is presented, right? But the gospel is working from verse 1 all the way to the end of this chapter. And it's amazing to see how it's at work in moving this story along. Cornelius was seeking truth. And he had, some good, he had a good foundation about where to find that truth. But he didn't know everything he needed. He didn't have the gospel. And so, just like God does for you and I, he comes to Cornelius and he wakes Cornelius up to the fact that he is missing something. And he says, Cornelius, I can help you find that. I mean, that's the picture of the gospel, right? Think of your own experience with it. When you went from being unsaved to saved, you didn't become saved without the help of the Lord opening your eyes and offering you the salvation of Christ. We can't do it on our own. No good works that you or I could ever do would be enough for us to find favor with God. And so God comes to Cornelius and he points him towards the saving power of Jesus. And so what, then what Peter got, if you, uh, if you uh, look down a little bit further, so Cornelius obeys and he sends some men to find Peter in Joppa. And then I want to skip down a little bit. We're going to come back and look at Peter's part. Uh, but I want to skip down to verse 24. So Peter comes. In verse 24 it says, The following day they, that's Peter and all these men, entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them, and he had called together his relatives and close friends. That's interesting. Cornelius is such a seeker. He's so interested. He's so desperate for the truth of God that he wants everybody he knows to know it too. I mean, he, before he's even saved, he's an evangelist. He is calling all these people, all his family, he's getting everybody together to come hear what they need to know to be right with God, to have relationship with the Lord. And so then Peter walks up and Cornelius does something interesting in verse 25. Cornelius met him and he fell down at his feet and he worshiped him. This is how we know that Cornelius wasn't where he needed to be yet. Even though all these good things have been said about him, even though he was seeking God honestly, and even though he was getting closer to the truth, he still didn't understand who he needed to worship. Uh, you just have to put yourself in the mindset of a Roman centurion who's um, all their life been um, influenced and seen and, and been part of um, religion that the way, the way they were. If they saw a man who was a great teacher, you would give him praise and you would worship him because they are representing God. But in the Christian faith, in the church, when faced with the gospel, we realize that there's no man that we see other than Christ that deserves our worship and our affection. So Cornelius wasn't quite there yet. So Peter talks to him, and then Cornelius recounts his testimony. He says, this is why you are here. God brought you here to me. 
And he says, now therefore, this is in verse um, 33, now therefore we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded to you by God. Cornelius is a true seeker who's ready to hear the gospel. And if you go down to verse 44, it says, while Peter was speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And that means that in that moment, after the gospel had been presented, these people who were honestly seeking truth were changed. They believed in Christ, and the Holy Spirit entered their lives. And then at the very end of the chapter, um, they are baptized and welcomed into the church. This is an amazing event. There is so much happening in this event. We do not possibly have the time to go into everything here. But it is such a miracle that this happened. And the first way that it's such a miracle is this man who was lost has now been found and been brought into relationship with God through the gospel by the power of the gospel. And this is a much more intimate picture of how the gospel works than we saw even in Stephen's life. Because that's how many levels the gospel works on. It can change societies and it can change our hearts. If you're here this morning or you're listening or tuning in this morning, and if you are a seeker, if you can identify with Cornelius, then the Lord is urging you this morning, come to Christ. Put your faith in Jesus. Recognize you're a sinner destined for hell. And the only way for salvation, the only way to be right with God and to be called a son or daughter is to put your faith in Christ. Receive his righteousness. Because nothing you could do would ever be good enough. But the Lord says, I'll give you this free gift because I love you so much. So if you're a seeker and that's, what you're, and that's who you can identify with, then your call today from Acts 10 is to come to Jesus. But there's another main character, and this is Peter. And Peter is already a Christian. He's already a pretty seasoned Christian. He's done miracles. He's had miracles done for him. He stood before the men that Stephen stood before and God has brought him through. He's spent nights in prison and the angel of the Lord has freed him. He's done miracles. He's told men to rise up and walk. He's preached the gospel. He was a friend of Jesus. He followed Jesus for his entire ministry. He ate with Christ. He witnessed the death and resurrection of Jesus. Peter is a well-seasoned and well-on-his-journey Christian. But the gospel has something to teach Peter that he didn't even know he needed to know. Because, and maybe if you're a Christian, you can, realize, you can relate to this, right? Because we think that um, the gospel's for the beginning, and then that's it. The beginning of our journey, the beginning of our time with the Lord. The gospel's what we needed to become a Christian, and sometimes we easily forget that we need the gospel to teach us something new every single day. The gospel is for you every single day, and Peter needed to learn that lesson. So when we see Peter in verse 9, he's in the city of Joppa, and it's lunchtime, and he's hungry. And so he, uh, he is waiting for lunch to be prepared. He goes up on the roof, and he's hanging out. He's kind of just having this personal um, devotional time, I assume. And he, and he starts to fall. It says he falls into a trance. In verse 11, he saw heaven opened, an object like a great sheet bound at four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. In that sheet were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds 
of the air. Now, instantly, Peter's going to categorize the, the, these animals that he sees completely different than we do because he is bound by his culture, just like we're bound by our culture. But in his culture, when he sees those things, he instantly knows those are unclean animals. And by the law of Moses, given in the Old Testament, I should never eat any of those things in case my body is defiled and made unclean. And that was so important that then you get this next part. In verse 13, a voice comes to Peter and he says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Now, just in case you thought that Peter changed his character much after he met Jesus and after the resurrection, Peter's still Peter. And he does his very Peter-ish thing where he kind of sees that as a challenge. And Peter doesn't like challenge. He likes to make sure everybody knows he's above that challenge and he's better than, than what you think. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And instantly he says, not so, Lord. How many times do you say that to Jesus? Jesus says, this is the way, or this is true. And Peter says, no, 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 wait, it's this way. And he does it here too. Not so, Lord. I have never eaten anything common or unclean. Lord, I would never break the law of Moses. And I have not done that. I have not eaten anything like this. I would never do that. And the voice spoke to him again the second time. And this should give us chills here because this is for you and I specifically. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times, just in case Peter thought, well, I'm really hungry and I'm seeing things. That's how hungry I am. Just in case God showed him this vision three times, so he could not so he didn't have so he didn't have to question whether or not it was real and then the object was taken into heaven verse 17 is so interesting now while peter wondered within himself what this vision meant so then he sits there and he starts to think what does this mean as soon as he's doing that the men from cornelius come and they ask to talk to him and peter goes down to talk to them and he says what are you guys here for what do you need what can i do for you and they explain, Cornelius, a man who Jewish people love, who wants to serve God, who has good standing, he needs to talk to you. And then they say, but he's a Gentile. So in that moment, I think Peter starts to really piece together now what just happened. I just saw this vision where I was told that the things that I have thought since, since I've learned them, since, since, since I was a child, these things, these cultural identi identifying things, God is saying, I'm changing, I'm changing that. I'm changing the meaning. I'm changing what's important. Now, it doesn't come out and say it right here, but we're gonna see it as we go through. And that's the power of the gospel. The gospel's the change, the reason God is saying now those things that you thought were wrong to do or those things that um, you thought were honoring me, those works that you were trying to accomplish, that's not what I'm interested in. What I'm interested in is a heart change. And I'm interested in you giving me your life. And I'll decide what's important and what's not important. So Peter decides to go with these men. And on his way, he's got, um, he's got a couple of days to think about what he's going to say and what he might experience there. So he gets to Cornelius, 
And Cornelius, you remember, dropped right down and started to try to worship Peter, right? And Peter, this is what Peter says in verse 26. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up. I myself am also a man. Don't worship me, Cornelius. It's not me who you need. It's Christ. We could go into just some things to think about about that. We don't have time, but um, Peter had an opportunity there to get some praise for himself, to let this guy have his moment where he kind of worshipped him. He could have done that, but Peter knew the truth. Peter knew the gospel. Peter knew that this man needed Jesus. But just in case you'd think that, okay, Peter was fine with everything now, look at what he says a couple times. In verse 28, Peter says to all the people there, all of the people Cornelius invited, he says, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another, one of another nation. I shouldn't be here. This is wrong. I'm, I'm, I don't even know if I'm doing the right thing because everything I've learned said that I shouldn't uh, I shouldn't hang out with you in case I become unclean because of how you guys live, because of what you think is okay. I'm not supposed to be here. But God, whenever you see that phrase, you know that the gospel is at work. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I ask then for what reason? Have you sent me? Peter says, I'm not supposed to be here, but the gospel of Jesus Christ says that I'm supposed to be here. So I'm here, because that's what my allegiance is to first. And then they, t- they explain, Cornelius explains why he's there and, and that they need to hear from the word of the Lord. And then Peter, in verse 34, Peter opened his mouth and said, again, he says it again. Peter says things over and over again. It's, it's interesting. In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. And then he launches into the gospel. Peter has become convinced that it's not up to him who the Lord calls. It's up to him to share the love of Christ with any who will listen. Uh, The Holy Spirit falls on them at the end, and then... um, in the last verse, 47, it says, Peter answered, can anyone, oh, the people who were around him were like, the other Jews who were with him, they were astonished that this had happened because they still don't get that the gospel's for everybody. Um, but they're astonished and they can't believe it. And then they say, well, what should we do now? Like, usually they get baptized and they're welcomed into the church. And Peter says, yeah, that's what we're gonna do. Peter answered, can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? He commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord, and then he spent some days ministering to them. Cornelius was the true seeker who needed the gospel. Peter is the Christian who needed to realize that the gospel requires him to love no matter what. And something else interesting to point out here is that the gospel caused Peter to realize that he needed to seek unity within the body of Christ no matter what. What? Despite his misgivings, despite being unsure if this was the right thing, Peter was convinced by the Spirit of God that it was important for him to love all members of the body of Christ, no matter what they looked like, no matter what they ate, no matter where they came from, no matter what culture they came from, or whatever. If you're a Christian here this morning, then you need to remember that the gospel has more to teach you. Will you learn from it or will you ignore it? 
Peter learned from it, um, not just in this situation, but in, in chapter 11, then we get this little story about him going back to Jerusalem, right? That's where all the Jewish Christians are, right? That's the safe place. And as soon as he gets back to Jerusalem, he walks in and he is not asked, hey, what happened? Not, said, not nobody came up to him like that. They came up to him and they attacked him because they were offended by what Peter had done. And they, they said, they made a statement, you went into uncircumcised men and ate with them, exclamation point. They were accusing Peter of dishonoring the Lord when Peter was only obeying the gospel implications. Peter explains to them what happens. And you know, when you read through the Bible, sometimes it feels like things just happen like that, right? But I think after Peter got done recounting his testimony and what happened, it says in verse 18 of chapter 11, when they heard these things, they became silent. I feel like the spirit of the Lord must have come on and let these people know, these other Christians know, that their way of thinking was misguided. That the gospel wasn't just for who they thought, the gospel and the love of Christ was for who God wanted it to be for. That when they heard these things, they became silent. The truth shut them up. And then they glorified God when they realized that, wait, this is great news. This isn't bad news. The gospel's full of good news. God has also granted the Gentiles repentance to life. So that's a lot of things in one chapter, and there's so many other threads we could look at and so many other implications we could take away, but just take away these two things. If you're like Cornelius and you're the seeker, you're not gonna find truth or fulfillment or anything that you want in anything but the gospel of Jesus. So put your faith in that. And if you're a Christian here today who's already put your faith in the gospel, don't put the gospel to the wayside or, or, or put it in your backpack and think, I'll get that out when I need it. Live your life learning from the gospel daily. And don't forget that God expects his church to love each other and to, uh, and to, um, to value unity over disunity. Unity over division. People are different, and God loves that. He brings all different types of people together under the gospel to work together for the same goal. So we need to love each other like Christ, and we need to never forget the power of the gospel. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I thank you for this morning and this opportunity to come together with your family, with your body. Father, let us never forget the power of the gospel in our lives. If there's anyone here this morning or listening who has not experienced that power first in their lives, have not been transformed by your love, please, Father, bring them today. Let them make that decision this morning to put their faith in Christ. And Father, for anyone else who's here this morning who's already done that and is well on their journey with you, Father, remind us all that we need the gospel every day that it calls us to love and to be unified, even when it's the hardest. Father, show us what that means, how that plays out in our church, in the body of Christ, in this world, as the church around the world. Father, show us what we can do to show other people the love and gospel of Jesus. We thank you and we love you in your name. Amen.